Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. My name is Sebastian Richard. And tonight we continue our Kingdom Leadership series with the topic of service or servant leadership. And as you can see tonight, I'm doing it solo. Uh, Elizabeth uh, gives her regards. She was just overly taxed with the homeschooling of our three kids. And there's a lot of correction that it that needs to get done as we are approaching March break. So I'm sure you guys can understand that. Uh, we will probably have her with us uh, next week. So, but don't go, don't go. Even if, even if she's not there, don't go. It's going to be really, really good. So stick around as we dive in, dive in deep into the topic of service. And I'm, I'm going to give my, my personal take on it because uh, I remember back in the, oh, a while back, I'm actually 46 years old, so I was in my early 20s. I was uh, in our local church at the time, and uh, the topic of service and servant leadership came up a lot. And um, I, I know I understood where it came from in the scriptures, but I kind of had a hard time with the uh, uh, becoming a servant leader, basically. So the first time I heard the term, I was in my early 20s, and uh, I... <laughs> I had a hard time applying it because, you know, when you're young, if it, if you didn't grow up in a big family and you're not used to sharing your toys, well, it's a little bit uh, of a harder slope to climb if you, uh, pardon the expression, but uh, you have to kind of learn to, to serve. You have to learn to serve. And even though you know it's what God requires, even though you know it's what Jesus told us to do. It's not always easy. It doesn't come natural for people, especially for, for guys like me. I mean, I had an older sister growing up, but uh, um, she was not home that much. And we had a big uh, four, four and a half year difference. So it's almost as if I was a, a growing up a, a lone child most of the time. So as a result, I didn't get to serve that much, to share that much. So when I joined the local church, I had to learn these principles and try to apply them. Uh, but first of all, when I heard it the first time, I was like, hmm, it seems like a contradiction in terms. Servant leadership. I, I mean, how can these two terms coexist? And I, I found it a little bit um, confusing. But like a lot of things in the kingdom of God, a lot of those things seem contradictory. See, servant leadership is just one of them. But think about these. Let's consider some more uh, in the kingdom of God that uh, seems to be like a, a contradiction in terms. For example, uh, we are told that uh, we can uh, attain exaltation through humility. Uh, God says, I will exalt the humble, right? Strength through weakness. We're told that in the Bible as well. Uh, Paul uh, was reminded of that when he, he prayed uh, the Lord by three times to remove the, his thorn in the flesh. And Jesus says, my, uh, my strength is, my, my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, freedom through servitude, gaining through losing. You know, he who shall uh, lose his life shall gain it. Uh, fi finding through losing. Receiving through giving, and of course, to that list, we can add tonight, leading through serving. And the term, the, the, the term servant leadership, uh, 
didn't come from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, although uh, arguably he was the first one to really teach about servant leadership. And there's many instances, and we're going to go through those uh, in the Gospels where he actually teaches his disciples that very um, that very term, that very attitude. But he was not the first one to teach to coin, I should say, coin the term. The term was coined. 2,000 years later by a guy named Robert K. Greenleaf. Robert K. Greenleaf. So he was uh, he was the one to coin the term servant leadership. And he even wrote an essay back in the 70s called The Servant as Leader. The Servant as Leader. And uh, it took a little while for this essay to become a mainstay in, in leadership teachings, uh, even today in universities where they actually teach leadership, they use his materials to teach servant leadership because it became such a, a huge thing in the corporate world. They, they really use that. I remember um, when I, I was being taught uh, my, my own leadership journey, when I was being taught by John Maxwell and others, uh, that we really needed to learn this servant leadership. And, it, and it's really a learning curve because we have oftentimes we have concepts of what leadership entails and what it is, and, and it's the wrong concept. And Christ obviously corrected the disciples uh, 2,000 years ago when they were fighting one amongst the other. And like I said, we'll talk about that a little later. But Robert K. Greenleaf was the first one to coin it. And I have a little video I want to share with you guys uh, where Robert K. Greenleaf shares uh, not himself, but the video is about uh, his legacy, what he actually helped to to bring about um, in in today's leadership uh, field, the field of leadership. It was really transformative because back in the 70s, when he came up with that, uh, leadership was definitely not taught the way it is today. So I'm just going to share with you that clip. I hope you enjoy this a couple of minutes. Robert Greenleaf was the founder of the Modern Servant Leadership Movement and the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership. Greenleaf was born in Terre Haute, Indiana in 1904. After graduating from Carleton College in Minnesota, he went to work for AT&T, then the American Telephone and Telegraph Company. For the next 40 years, he researched management, development, and education. All along, he felt a growing suspicion that the power-centered authoritarian leadership style so prominent in U.S. institutions was not working, and in 1964, he took an early retirement to found the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership, which was first called the Center for Applied Ethics. According to his essay, Essentials of Servant Leadership, Greenleaf's philosophy had its roots from reading a work of fiction in 1958. The idea of the servant as leader came out of reading Herman Hesse's Journey to the East. A conceptual framework that is helpful for understanding servant leadership is found in the 10 characteristics of a servant leader described by Larry Spears in 1998. Spears distills Greenleaf's instrumental means into 10 characteristics, listening, empathy, healing, awareness, persuasion, conceptualization, foresight, stewardship, commitment to growth of people, and building community. Greenleaf influenced a whole generation. 
In 1985, the Center for Applied Ethics was renamed the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership. Today, there are scores of colleges and universities that include servant leadership in their teachings and hundreds of companies that embrace Greenleaf's philosophy. As Greenleaf strived to serve through education, he became the leader of a movement. So it's interesting to me that um, that this movement gained momentum um, starting in the 80s and then in the 90s even more and, and now uh, past the, the 2000s, 2020s. Uh, the movement really gained a lot of appreciation and it really transformed our organizations uh, from the ground up in the way that the leaders are formed, forged, and the way they exercise their authority or their leadership. And to me, that's fantastic because, you know, when we look at our society in general, a lot of things seem to be on, the, on a downwards slope, the values, the morals, and, and a lot of things are, are going away from Christian values. But in the field of leadership, and I've noticed this in my, my years studying entrepreneurship and leadership, of course, um, that it is not so. And I, I really appreciate that about the field of leadership, which seems to be one of the few fields left that espouses values and morals that are very, very uh, connected to the Bible and Christianity. Although if you would tell them that, they would probably freak out and, and try to readjust and change their, their outlook. But uh, it's one of the things that I've noticed. So that's a good thing. And I just wanted to share that uh, tidbit with you about Robert K. Greenlee, because I think it's so important to know where the term came from. Now, we know that the actual um, uh, groundworks or, 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 or the, the, the basis for it is much uh, farther down the line than that. And like I said, I believe Jesus was one of the uh, initiators, one of the, the founders of true servant leadership, and he espoused it and he ex exemplified it in his life to a degree that no one else has in, in history. And we're gonna look at that right now with a passage in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. So Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. I'm gonna read it to you guys. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, heard it so the ten other apostles heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself, and he said, 
you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, this passage contains so much information about servant leadership and also about the dynamic, which is kind of funny, the dynamic of uh, the disciples, the apostles of Jesus and, and the whole uh, thing with the mom. And you got to admire the mom in this. I mean, I just love the fact that she recognized the greatness of Jesus. Because what she requested for her two sons was a great sign of recognition of what who Jesus was when she said, when you, when you come in your kingdom, uh, she was really, uh, she was ambitious for her sons. And what mother isn't? Now, it was very bold of her to come and ask Jesus that. And the two boys were with her and like waiting for his response. Maybe they were just too shy to ask him, to ask him themselves. So it's kind of funny, the scene. And then you have the 10 others who wanted the same thing. It's not said in the text, but you can tell by their reaction that they're kind of like frustrated with the two brothers because the two brothers dared to do something they probably secretly uh, sought for themselves or wanted for themselves. And Jesus knew that. So he called all of them and says, okay, let's group meeting, guys. I do that sometimes with, with the kids uh, when we have a family meeting and I see something's not going right. I say, okay, guys, family meeting upstairs. So we all sit in the living room and then uh, we we explain what's what's wrong or what needs to be uh, adjusted or fixed or addressed or whatever. And I think that's what Jesus did there. Uh, he, he ordained a family meeting and, and he, he fixed the attitudes because he knew that the, the two brothers, yeah, they had their, their own attitudes, but he saw the same thing in the 10. He was like, I got to talk to these guys because they don't get it. They don't under, understand how it works in my kingdom. And I really want them to get this. And Jesus knew he had but a short time to teach these men to become the best servant leaders as he, he had only three years with them. So uh, I, I once heard a preacher who decried the fact that we teach in our church's service, we teach servant leadership. And I, I grew up with that. It was reinforced uh, very often that we needed to serve and serve one another. And, and, and it was a, an example that the Lord left us and all that. But we're taught this without any clear direction. And, and I think it's great when we, we serve each other for, for anything and everything. I mean, when we help uh, each other for all kinds of stuff, moving chairs or, or, or placing tables or, or, or for a potluck supper when everybody pitches in. That's all good and wonderful. But I think one thing that we're missing is the understanding of the best way to serve. And here's what I mean by that. This preacher said when, when I heard him and I thought it really resonated with me. He said, we are not called just to serve but to serve efficiently. The best way to do that is to serve with and through our gifts. To serve with and through our gifts. 
for example, we're told in Proverbs that your gift will make room for you, right? We're, we're told that. Well, your gift will make room for you in the measure that you're willing to serve it. See, uh, when we, we're always called to serve and serve and serve, and we see ourselves as, as becoming almost like slaves, like that Jesus tells us in the passage, slaves to one another and all that. And that's great. But when you use the gifts that God gave you, and you, you, you serve those gifts, you put those gifts on a silver platter, and you serve them to your fellow man, you serve them to the body of Christ, the people in the body of Christ, that is when your service, your service is at, is at its, its highest point. It's the highest efficiency of your service. So when we serve our gifts, our gift or our gifts, we are to serve them with excellence, with consistency, with diligence, with joy. But most of all, we are to serve our gift generously, generously, lavishly, generously, a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, there is a, a group of scholars who got together discussing servant leadership. And as I said, it's become kind of like a, a fixture in, in modern leadership circles, which is great. But they were, uh, they were doing an academic paper and they were trying to identify the primary characteristics of servant leadership. And in all, they found 12 main characteristics, but they really wanted to boil it down even lower. And they were able to boil it down to five. And I'm gonna share with you now the five most prominent servant leadership characteristics. Number one, valuing, valuing people. Valuing people. Servant leaders value people for who they are, not just for what they give to the organization or the ministry. Servant leaders are committed first and foremost to people particularly to their followers. Number two is humility. And we saw that, I think it was last week, that was our topic, humility. Servant leaders do not promote themselves. They put other people first. They are actually humble, not humble as an act. So it's, they're not putting up a, a show. Servant leaders know leadership is not all about them and things are accomplished through others. Number three, listening. And that is something that uh, I still struggle with at times. And I, I remind myself in social situations where I tended, uh, as an introvert, I tended to, to, to get nervous. And when I got nervous, I over-talked. I talked too much. That's a way I, I deal with nervousness in social situations. But uh, I put my foot in my mouth quite a few times doing that. And I had to learn, and I'm still learning, how to shut up and listen, two ears to listen, one mouth to speak. So I, I should listen twice as much as I talk. So uh, servant leaders listen receptively and non-judgmentally, which is in Christian circles, a rare thing, but it's a thing we need to learn. They are willing to listen because they truly want to learn from other people and to understand the people they serve. They must listen deeply. Servant leaders seek first to understand and then to be understood. So the first thing you want to do is understand the, per the people you're serving 
and then be understood. The, the, this discernment enables the servant leader to know when their service is needed. Isn't that interesting? So when you're a servant leader and you're helping a, a team or, or helping people work together, oftentimes you will empower them to do what they need to do or what they are the best at doing. And you can, you're going to do that. And as they do, as they deploy, you're going to back away and appreciate the results. And of course, you're going to be doing your part, but you're going to appreciate the results. So uh, you're, you're going to basically be able to back away and know when your services are needed and let people, you're going to basically empower people to lead themselves. That's what a good servant leader does. Number four, trust. Servant leaders give trust to others. They willingly take this risk for the people they serve. Servant leaders are trusted because they are authentic and dependable. When you, when you put trust in people, when you tell someone you work with, no, no, that's okay, I trust you, I know you've got this. That doesn't, it doesn't take long to say, but it's amazing how much it makes the person appreciate working with you. When they know that you trust them, they know they can trust you. Number five, caring. In the New Testament, we're encouraged to love, love one another, right? Christ said that people would recognize that we are his if they see us loving one another. Caring. Servant leaders have people and purpose in their heart. They display a kindness and concern for others. As the term servant leadership implies, servant leaders are here to serve not to be served. Servant leaders truly care for the people they serve. Um, there's a saying, and I, and I had to remind myself this uh, a few years back. I kept uh, being reminded of that. People will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. So it's about people first. People first. And speaking of people, first, I want to talk about an organization that you probably are familiar with. I mean, if you're a kingdom leader, obviously, you've heard of the name Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family is one of the most successful faith-based organizations of all time. It was founded uh, in 1977 by Dr. James Dobson. And they have helped thousands upon thousands upon thousands of families of single parents, of children since their inception back in the 70s. Uh, and it's in interesting that James Dobson once said this in an interview when he was asked about how he explained, how do you explain the, success, the phenomenal success of focus on the family? Here's what James Dobson, who is, by the way, uh, not affiliated. <laughs> he founded the company, but he's not with them anymore. Uh, he, he's doing a different thing now. But uh, uh, here's what he said when he was asked this question about the success of Focus on the Family uh, years, years ago. He said, the faith principle of meeting human needs has been the hallmark of Focus on the Family through the years. Never in its existence have its executives sat around a conference table saying, how can we grow? How can we build this ministry? Instead, the question has been, 
A new need is being brought to our door. What are we going to do about it? That philosophy of service to all comers explains the unprecedented growth of the ministry. When an organization hangs out a shingle saying, we care for you, it will prosper. This is true of business, it's true of a resort, and particularly of a church or a ministry. And I, I put a quote after I read this because I, I thought it was so inspiring to read this about one of the most successful Christian organizations. And I wrote down, in the kingdom of God, service is the leader's calling card. In the kingdom of God, service is the leader's calling card. And now I want to get back to uh, the Messiah. And we read earlier, I read to you the, this uh, passage from Matthew 20, when the disciples were all, you know, kind of uh, having a tug of war. And uh, they were happy uh, with uh, James and John asking for places of honor at uh, the two sides of Jesus. And he rectified the situation and he told them what, he what was expected of them, that it was service to become the slave of all if they were uh, looking for the better place. And it, that story is retold in the other gospels as well. But in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, Jesus proved his point. He proved it. And, and I see this as such an important part of his ministry where he taught the disciples servant leadership with his words, and they saw him serving everywhere he went because Jesus was serving his gift everywhere he went, and he did it better than anyone in history. But in John chapter 13, he did something that is absolutely astounding when you, can, when you consider who Jesus was, the Son of Almighty God, uh, God incarnate in the flesh. Here's what he did in John chapter 17, uh, 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the, the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, this is interesting that they mentioned this right there. So it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Now, that just shows the, the power of Jesus, the majesty that was bestowed upon him and he knew he was about to return to God so it says so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him now you need to be uh, you need to understand that back in those days, people traveled on foot a lot, and we know that in in, uh, in Jerusalem and all over Galilee, it was very very dusty, it was sandy, very dry, and the feet got so dirty. So when someone had traveled, 
and they came to your house, it was customary to ask the servants, if you had any, to wash their feet. It was the job of a servant to do that. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Now that is a profound statement because we know what happened later with Simon Peter, right? He was called to become one of the biggest leaders of the apostles. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. In other words, Peter's saying, no way. There's no way you're going to stoop to that level. I'm not going to let you do that. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> you got to love Simon's. <laughs> Simon always expressed what he felt, always. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just by not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. <laughs> In other words, I I want to be part of everything you're doing. I want to be part with everything you're doing. Jesus answered, "Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean." When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That is one of the most poignant passages in all of the Bible, where Jesus gives an incredible example of servant leadership. And not long after that, he went to the cross again and doing to the utmost the most incredible act of selflessness that has ever been done in the whole history of mankind. He gave his life for the ransom of many. But let's talk about the, the, the feet washing. There's a, an example of feet washing that actually proves that what Jesus did actually does work. And I'm going to give you the, the example. Uh, it's the story of a, um, a Wycliffe translator and missionary. His name was Doug Melland and his wife. Doug Melland and his wife. They, they moved into a village in Brazil. Uh, and they, in, that, in that village, they had to deal with the Fulnio Indians. The Fulnio Indians. And when he began his missionary work there to learn their language and to eventually translate the scriptures in their language, he was referred to simply as, quote-unquote, the white man. So the Fulnio Indians called him the white man. And the terms was not complimentary at all because the Fulnio Indians had suffered at the hands of the white men. There, there were some who exploited them. There were some who burned their homes 
and there were even some who robbed their lands. So when they called someone uh, a white guy or white man, when they called him the white man, uh, there was huge gap there. There was huge distance. It was not a, a term, an endearing term at all. But after the Melons uh, learned their language, the Fulmio language, and began to help the people with medicine and in other ways, they began calling Doug Melland the respectable white man. That's interesting. Okay, so he wasn't just a white man anymore. Now he was the respectable white man. And when the Melons began adapting the customs of the people, the full Neo-Indians gave them greater acceptance and spoke of Doug as the white Indian. Oh, now, now he was like almost one of them, right? He was like an Indian, but white. So he, they saw him as one of them. Isn't that, isn't that uh, interesting? Then one day, as Doug was washing the dirty, blood-caked foot of an injured Fulneo Indian boy, he overheard a bystander say to another, whoever heard of a white man washing an Indian boy's foot before? Certainly this man is from God. Wow. From that day on, whenever Doug would go into an Indian home, it would be announced here comes the man God sent us. So through selfless acts of service, ever since he showed up in their village, Doug went from being called the derogatory term, the white man, to the man God sent us. So he went from being very, very separated. They, 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 they separated themselves from him to highly revered and respected and beloved by this Indian tribe where they really saw the hand of God acting through him because of acts of service. And this story really touched my heart. And I think it, it epitomizes, aside from, of course, the story where our Lord uh, washes uh, the feet of the disciples. But see, Stories with Jesus, I don't know if you're like me, but we admire them. They touch us. Uh, he's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our King. Uh, but at the same time, we always look at Jesus as, well, he was Jesus. He was God. He was, he was able to do all things. But when we see the same example in a man, a man like you, a man like me, then we feel like, okay, this is really calling me to a higher level of service. I mean, not to say that Jesus is not calling us to a higher level by his example, but we always can, sometimes in our Christian life, in our Christian walk, we're going to excuse it. Like, well, well, he was the son of God. He could do anything, you know. But when it's a fellow man, someone, you know, who was born in sin, like you and me, and who was redeemed and saved and washed in the blood and now is doing the same thing. Well, now we're, we're we we need to pause and reconsider: Are we living up to the standard that Jesus set? Are we doing the same thing? And that's why I liked uh, sharing this example with you guys. There's uh, there's some pastors. If you if you go to 
the different churches, or maybe if you're lucky, maybe in your church they say that, uh, some pastors occasionally will end their Sunday worship services or Saturday worship, depending on which day you guys worship. But some, some pastors end their services by saying, worship has now ended, the service has begun. And I really like that. It's basically a way of saying to your congregation, to all the, the believers assembled there, so we finished worshiping today, and now as we come out of the church doors, we are beginning our service. Because that's the way it is. It's when we go out from the building, it's when we come out of our houses, although we can serve in our houses, and we should, and that's in the capacity that God has given us. If it's as a son, so be it. If it's as a wife, a husband, a father, also, we need to serve one another in the love of Christ. But it's it's really the way it should be. When we get out of the church doors, that's when it really starts. You know, uh, I remember there was a, a church uh, that said they had posted a plaque up, uh, on the top of their door on the inside of the church. It said, you are now entering the mission field. As you were exiting the church, you were reminded you are now entering the mission field. I think that's uh, pretty much the way it should be. So as I end this broadcast, obviously you notice, hey, oh, 38 minutes. Usually uh, these guys go on for an hour and 15 minutes. Well, I don't have my co-host this week. And Elizabeth shares her her, her uh, knowledge and her wisdom with you guys on a regular basis. So obviously when we're two people, we have more to share than if it's just me. And I go through the content much quicker when I'm alone because uh, we don't have this exchange going on, right? So uh, I just wanted to end this week's teaching with uh, uh, Maxwell, John Maxwell, once again, uh, who is going to talk to you guys about servant leadership. And I like sharing these uh, minutes with Maxwell because John Maxwell is a highly respected and recognized leadership teacher. Uh, he's been doing that for decades. I think 40 years he's been teaching leadership, which is pretty amazing. And it's funny because he shared uh, that when he when he began, I think it was back in the, I think it's in the 80s, he started this. Uh, he had a call on his life to start teaching leadership. And it was transitional because back in his day, what was popular was not leadership, but management. So he said that back in his day, there were all these management books out in libraries when you wanted to basically, if you wanted to learn leadership, you had to buy management books because that's what was available out there. So when he started writing books about leadership and teaching about leadership, it was, of course, we know leadership is nothing new under the sun, but uh, in the writings of those days, it, it was a shifting from management to leadership. And uh, and eventually it was it was um, it, it shifted even so more so into servant leadership as I explained uh, earlier. And and I think John Maxwell, uh, as well as uh, oh what's his name Ken Blanchard, Ken Blanchard, they, these guys were instrumental. They were um, mightily used by God to uh, to teach servant leadership in their own distinct way and flavor. Uh, I think uh, Ken Blanchard is the one who wrote the book. Uh, um, leading like Jesus, I think that's the title. Leading like Jesus, and in in the book, obviously, if you're going to teach people to lead like Jesus, you're going to make a big case of servant leadership, and that's what he did 
and he's well known throughout the world uh, for uh, for sharing about how to how to be a good servant leader. But I'm going to end uh, this week with another clip by John Maxwell, who's going to talk about servant leadership. Guys, um, make sure you join us next week as we continue uh, our Kingdom Leadership series. Jeez, uh, what is it going to be about? I forgot. Memory blank. I forgot. But it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Don't worry about it. It's going to be really good. And uh, before I, I, uh, I leave, I just want to wish you a wonderful week. Uh, God bless you. And may you thrive on purpose during this coming week. And may you serve your gift to the highest of your ability. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All my life I've spent teaching leaders and doing leadership. And I've seen it evolve over now at almost 70 years of age. I've seen it evolve over the last 45 years. I mean, it, when I started leadership, it was kind of like top down. You got a person at the head and everything flows down to the rest of the people. And then, then maybe we ought to bring some people to help that leader as a worker team. And, and then it evolved to, well, maybe we need a leadership team, more than just one leader to have uh, different gifts and, and different abilities and different strengths to, to complement one another. And, and I've, watched, I've watched leadership evolve evolve. But there's one part of leadership that always works, regardless of time, regardless of culture. That's servant leadership. Servant leadership is when I serve you and add value to you to the extent that your success I consider to be my success. That's what servant leadership is all about. I had a person one time say, well, John, the servant leadership stuff, how do I know that I'm really got this servant leadership stuff. I said, well, it's very simple. It won't bother you to serve other people. If it, if it bothers you to serve other people, you don't have it down yet. But the moment that you just really understand that your win is my win and your success is my success, and what can I do for you and how can I add value to you and how can I serve you, all of a sudden you begin to win the day in this area of servant leadership. And here's what I know. Servant leaders have the most loyal people around them. Because people see beyond their leadership skills, they see their heart. And when you have good leadership skills, but you have it complemented with a great heart to add value to people, that's where you get the loyalty of your people and your team. You're the kind of person they'll work for and they'll die for because they know that you would do the same for them. Servant leadership. Beautiful words, beautiful life.